Do any of you remember as a kid, maybe these books aren't as popular today, they're probably not, but they were called these kind of like adventure novels where you might be being chased by this rabid pack of wolverines. And as you're chasing and you're, you're running from them, then on the page you've got a couple of choices. You can turn to page 230 and go into a cave. Or you can go to page 140 and do something else. And so the outcome of what happened depended upon what page you turned to. And of course I'm being chased by the wolverines and I'm a kid like, okay, the cave sounds like a really cool option. So I turn to page 230, but it's not a cave, it's the opening to a volcano. And I go into the volcano and drop 500 feet into some uh, molten lava. The story is over. And I think to myself, if only I knew that going to 230 would end the story, would end the adventure. Well, we're going to start on a series through the book of Proverbs called Wise Up. And through this series, the big thing that I hope we understand, I hope that I understand, is that the will of God in following his path for your life is not so much a door in which you make specific decisions, but rather it's a path, it's a journey that you travel on through the length of your life. It is a path of wisdom. And for too many of us, when we think about understanding and following the will of God, we think of it like that adventure novel. There's two doors. And one door leads to peace and prosperity. And if I take it, good things will happen. But if I take the other door, it's doom and destruction, game over, story ends. And we think about that and we go, oh my, I made this choice, I made this decision, and things aren't working out so well, and I'm having this difficulty and this turbulence, and I must have not chosen the will of God because I've got some difficulties coming to my life. And if only I knew, if only I could have turned ahead in the page and see where this decision would have left. And so we think about the will of God and we think about it like a door and we need to make the right decision or else. And so the practical questions, should I take this job? Should I go to graduate school? Should I ask her out? Will she be marital bliss or doom and destruction? Should I get involved in this ministry? What is the will of God? If only I could just flip ahead of the pages and see what the outcome would be, then I would know. But that's an nagging question for so many of us. But when it comes to finding out the will of God, I want you to know, friends, that it's not lost. When it comes to finding the will of God, it's not lost because most of what he wants us to do has been revealed in his word and that the path of finding God's will is not so much a door where you have to make just the right specific decisions, but rather it's a path in which you journey and you travel and you grow in your trust and your character and your closeness and your walk with God. And when you are drawing close to God and you are walking closer to him, no matter what door you take or don't take, you are in the will of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. 
in verses 5 and 6. And I've said before, these are kind of like the North Star of, of understanding the will of God. And, and I know we quote these verses over and over and over as well as we should, but I want us to take a deeper dive into this and allow this to kind of set the stage for our whole discussion, our whole teaching exploration through the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, turn in your Bible or use your Bible app, whichever one you may use. We have the scripture by way of the screen, and I think we have it on our bulletins as well this morning. In fact, since it's on the screen, how about we read this together, starting in verse 5. Together, please. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. How many of you quote that verse on a regular basis? You lean upon that. That's a great verse, isn't it? Let's go a little bit deeper into it. If you're in a note-writing mood and it comes to understanding the will of God, the first thing that you must understand about the will of God is that the will of God is a person. The will of God is a person. Verse 5, it starts out with this command, trust in the Lord. It doesn't start with a promise. It doesn't start with good feelings. It doesn't start with peace in your heart. It doesn't start with all of these wonderful circumstances going on well in your life. It starts with a command, something that you obey, something that you do, even when life is hard, even when life is difficult, even when the circumstances don't seem to be going your way. And that word there, trust, in the Hebrew is the word bata, which means carefree, confident, and secure. Folks, a lot of us were kind of hung up on this and were like, boy, can I hear from God? Boy, can I get his direction? Can I, are my antennas spiritually in tuned enough so that I will know what God speaks to me and I don't miss his will? But this trust is not so much a confidence in my ability to hear from God, but it's a confidence in God's ability to make himself heard, even when at times I am spiritually dense. Do you see the difference? Too many people are trusting on their ability to hear from God rather than God's sovereign and supreme and wise ability to make himself heard. And that makes a big difference. We put this pressure on ourselves. I've got to make the right choices. I've got to write the right decisions. Because if I don't, my marriage won't be where it needs to be. If I don't, I won't have the lucrative career that I want. If I don't, my ministry will not be effective and I'll miss out on God's will. And if I don't have everything just right in obeying God, then I can't be happy. But our trust is not in what we do or our circumstances. Our trust is in God. We go through scenarios like this. Maybe I should have went to Michigan State, but I went to Western Michigan. I went to Western Michigan, and maybe that wasn't God's will, because maybe the spouse that God had for me was at Michigan State, and I never met him or her, and because I didn't meet the person that God wanted me to to marry, therefore I'm not going to be happy. 
and I'm missing out on God's will. And we're kind of like in that scenario of back to the future where we go back to the past and things just kind of get messed up because we didn't do things the way that we should have done. But the will of God is really, it's a person. It's a path. It's in the book of Proverbs, it's lifestyle choices. Choices that you make every single day in your life. It's about patterns of behavior, habits of wisdom that you start to inculcate in every day of your life. It's about ways of thinking, of maturing your thoughts, about having the mind of Jesus. It's about learning to have the things of priority that you love and value that are in line with God. And when you have those things, your heart is aligned with God and you're growing in trust with Him. And as you're growing in trust with God, guess what? What, no matter your circumstances, you are in the will of God. Because the will of God is first a person, it is a relationship with God. You remember as a kid, you had that eight ball, that eight ball, you shake the thing, you ask a question, should I do this, should I do that, and you shake it, and then it gives you some kind of, you know, stupid, ridiculous answer. You know, too many of you, you're where you're at in life because you based your most important decisions on that eight ball, didn't you? Creates problems. And we treat the will of God like an eight ball. God, should I do this? Should I do that? Apart from character, apart from faith, apart from wisdom. And we want God just to give us this magical answer. What door should we go through? What should we not go through? Let me talk about some ways that we use the will of God, like an eight ball and some of the Christian ease and language we use. Well, just follow the open doors. If a door opens, then that must be the will of God. I look all kinds of places in the Bible where doors opened up, but it wasn't the will of God. It It was a big mistake. Think about Jonah. Jonah said he went up to the ticket booth. He says, do you have any place I can go? Uh, Get me away from Nineveh? Yeah, we can get you over to Tarshish. Joe's like, oh, a door's opened up. That's great. Give me a ticket. Praise the Lord. The door's open. Therefore, it must be the will of God for me. And he ends up in the belly of a well. I know of all kinds of people. They're like, well, hey, the door's opened up. And apart from prayer, apart from counsel, apart from wisdom, apart from so many of the resources in the Word of God, the door just opened up and therefore they took it. And three months later, it's messing up. Things aren't working out. And now they're disappointed with God because God opened a door, but it didn't work out. But is that really how we determine the will of God just because something seems to open up in the moment? Here's another one. I had peace about it. The moment I made that decision, I just had this peace. And I knew it must be the will of God. Remember Eve when she took the fruit? And when she took that fruit, it says in the scripture, it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She had peace but it didn't work out too well, did it? 
And folks, I don't know of anywhere in the Scripture, maybe you can help me out on this, where it says that because we've got this feeling of peace within our hearts, that that is an indicator that that shows us the will or the decision we are to make. I'm not aware of any Scripture that says that. Here's another one. The Holy Spirit was just prompting me to to do that. The Holy Spirit prompted me, and I'm like, okay, I get that, and I understand that, and that's important. But sometimes we have these intuitions, these gut-level feelings, these things that are very strong within us, and we absolutize those things or those feelings or those impressions in such a way that they become equivalent with the Word of God and the Scripture and God Himself, and it can lead us into making some mistakes when we don't understand that their place in our lives. Here's another one. I really had to contend with this as a younger pastor. I do better today. But people will come up to me and I say, well, God said, God told me to do this. God laid this on my heart. Remember as a younger pastor, lady came up to me and said, God gave me this song to sing in the church service. I go, oh boy, what am I going to do with this? God gave it to you, and if God gave it to you, who am I to stand in your way? I mean, God Almighty himself gave it to you. I said, well, could you sing the song? And she sings it, and I'm kind of like, I don't say this to her, but I'm like, lady, you might want to give it back to God. It's not quite finished yet. Needs some work, okay? And people absolutize these things, these feelings, these impressions, these open doors. And folks, don't get me wrong, these are all things that we should take into account when making decisions. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. There are doors that He opens up. There are things He speaks into our heart. But that is not primary for understanding the will of God. The primary reality is our faith and trust in God himself and his sovereign power. And we'll explore that more as we go through this series. Truth number two is that the will of God is a path. The will of God is a path. Verse six, it says, in all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Path is a destination. It's it's a direction you travel. One writer, as I was studying this passage, says this Hebrew word for path could have the meaning of like this little goat trail that leads off from the main trail. And what this is saying is that God is interested in even the small decisions, the small paths, Sometimes those insignificant areas that we don't submit to God in our lives. To what seems to us not too big of a deal, and we think God isn't concerned about that, God is concerned. And folks, there's nothing that is a big deal or a little deal to God, because He is God, and so nothing's big and little. He can take care of all of it. And so sometimes we come to the place in our lives where we say, you know what, I can just cross this moral line just once, and I can do it just in this small area, and because it's so small and so insignificant, God won't mind and it's no big deal. I can go ahead and just look at that just once, 
It's not a big deal. I can go ahead and I can adjust the numbers on that report so that it looks better. That's not a huge deal. I can go to that nightclub where all that kind of stuff is going to go on just one night as I'm out of town, and that's no big deal. But the problem is, is that when we do it once, it gets easier and gets easier and gets easier. And we look at our lives and we say, you know what? Financially, I'm broke. How did I get here? Morally, I am addicted. How did this happen? Right now, I've lost trust with my employer or my spouse. I can't believe this happened. I never intended for my life to end up here. Right now, I'm physically sick. I can't believe this is the outcome of my life. How did I end up here? And you ended up here because you have been making several decisions, small decisions over time that has accumulated into the path that you have traveled in the direction you are on that has led you where you are at now. You are, out, you are where you're at right now because it is the path you have traveled. But I didn't intend to be here. I didn't intend it to go this way. I always intended to serve God. I always intended that my marriage or my life or my morale, my whatever, would turn out really well. That's what I wanted. How come the result isn't there? This past week I was visiting somebody in Sarnia so I head over to Canada, and, and I don't have a map. You don't use maps today, not with your Google Maps and GPSs and Garmins. And so I head over to Canada. I'm following the Google map, following the GPS and, and my Google thing. And, and I go over, I visit this guy. We have a great time, and we're talking about Harvest Field Ministry and all that kind of fun stuff. And then i I, I got to go back home. So I come back to Crossroads, and... And uh, so I go to take off, and I put in, you know, you know, King, you know, three six three one King Street or whatever the location is here, and I'm heading back, and I'm not getting a signal. I'm not getting anything. I don't know why why I'm not. And so well, I put my Garmin up. Well, I don't have it for Canada, so I'm in a situation. And so I say, you know, I, I think I know the way back. I think I know where to go. And so I'm not getting a signal, and I'm, I think I go this way, and I end up to a dead-end street. I go this other way, and I end up toward some place where construction is going on, and I'm lost. I didn't intend to get lost. That wasn't what I was wanting. And so what do I do? I'm a guy. I don't ask for directions, do I? No, I'm not going to do that. I travel around until I finally get a signal on my phone, okay, and head back, head back to, to crossroads here. And for, for many of us, we like, I didn't intend to get lost spiritually. I didn't intend to get lost morally. I didn't intend. But here's what you need to know when you look at Proverbs, and this is the truth. It is not your intention that determines your destination. It is your direction. 
It is not what you intend to do. It is the direction in which you travel. It's not what you felt in your heart or what you prayed about or what you talked to others about or what you said verbally that was important. It's what you did with your feet, your choices, and your actions over time, over years, over your life that determines where you're at right now. You intend to marry and have a great Christian husband and have a solid family with kids raised up in the Lord. But right now you're dating somebody who doesn't know and follow Jesus. You may want that ideal of the Christian husband, but if you are not dating somebody who is following Jesus and has no intention to do so, it is going to be your direction and not your intention that will determine where you end up. And when you get pregnant, that is not the great time to decide whether you want this person to be your partner for your life. Husbands or men, you have an intention that you want your kids to grow up, to love you, to be close to you. You want them to be around you. You want them to respect you. You want a close relationship with you. But you find yourself just working exhaustive hours 70 hours a week, and you find yourself not investing in their lives and spending that time with them. And you intend, that is what you want with your children, but it's not going to be the intention. It'll be the direction. It's what you actually do that will determine the destination. Some of you, you, you want to really give to ministry. Financially, you want to bless others, bless those who are needy, pour into harvest field ministries, bless the, the ministries here at Crossroads. That's what you want to do. That's what you think about doing. That's the intention of your heart. But you find yourself on this path of consumer spending and your credit card bill keeps going up and up and up and you have less and less margin as you're paying more interest upon your debt. And folks, it's not your intention. It is going to be your direction that determines your destination and how well you'll be able to give to the ministries or to the harvest field uh, uh, ministries are things that, that, that matter in your heart. You want to retire comfortably, but right now you're not putting a dime towards your savings. And it's not going to be your intention of what you want. It's going to be the direction that will determine your destination. And when you're 60 years of age, that's a very difficult time to start working for retirement, isn't it? So what do we do with this? What do we do as we look into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? It, this gives us some hard realities that we have to trust in the Lord. We need to submit our lives to Him and lean not on our own understanding. So let me give you a couple of encouragements this morning when it comes to understanding the will of God as we prepare for communion. The first thing I want to say if you're in a note-writing mood is this, is this, do something do something. You don't have to know perfectly everything and every detail and every outcome to understand obedience to the will of God. Just do something. Too many of us are trying to find the will of God when it's never been lost. 
the majority of what God wants us to do has been revealed. It is clear in Scripture. The Scripture, the Word of God, is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It gives us the clarity that we need so that generally we can trust Him and be obedient to Him on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. And here's the deal. God is doing a thousand things in your life right now today that you don't even see, that you're not even aware of, that you won't even know. And because of his sovereignty and because of his providence in your life, you can walk with a general pattern and disposition of trust towards him because he is working ahead of you in ways that you can't even comprehend. And so we can rest and relax as we have this faith and trust in God. When you look even in Scripture, a lot of the great achievements that happened, the great things that were done, they didn't begin with this great revelation or even people praying about it or getting this insight. They were in the right place at the right time and they needed to take action. Think about Queen Esther. Is the king is wanting to kill all of the Jews. And Esther is that place in her relationship with the king where she can intervene, where she can speak on behalf of the Jewish people. And the scripture doesn't say that God revealed anything or that she prayed about it. She was just at that place at that time and she needed to take responsibility. And she says, maybe that God has placed me here or maybe I am here for such a time as this. And she acted and she did so in faith. In fact, she didn't know what the outcome would be if God would bless it. And so she said these words, if I perish, I perish. But I have to be responsible. That's the way some of us need to be. We need to stop thinking about, is this the perfect door? Is it going to lead to peace and prosperity or doom and destruction? We need to just step forward. We just need to walk forward. We know it's God's will for us to be involved in a ministry, to use our spiritual gifts to bless the lives of others. And sometimes we don't do anything because we don't know exactly what that is and we fear failure. But really what we need to do is just start serving. Do something. Get involved. I think last week I showed you the video of our Richmond Outpost with our, with our Love Your Community event in Richmond. And Tommy, who's been a new follower of Jesus, I challenged him to get up in that event and to share the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I told about that story and I went to Tommy and Tommy says, it's time to share now. He says, okay, I'll share when I finish this piece of cake. And then he I looked at him and he says he's going to share and he went and got another piece of cake, okay? But he shared and he shared the story and he shared about what God is doing in his life and he shared about God's love. And so at our weekly discipleship event, as we were meeting at Tommy's house with just a few others and we're discipling some people in the community, a lady, a young 20-year-old, she came to that event who came to our Wednesday discipleship group who was at the Love Your Community event. And so she says, yes, I'd like to discover more of who Jesus is. And so she was there. And as we were talking to her, her name is Carol. Carol said, you know, I took that story that Tommy read on the Good Samaritan. 
says, I don't really read the Bible, but I just took that story because you handed it out and I placed it on my wall. And I've been reading that story all of the time because when I read that story, it gives me hope. I'm like, well, Tommy, you shared that story. And now Carol Ann, who doesn't know Jesus, is now looking to Jesus because you stepped forward. You did something. You were courageous. And now her life is being blessed. And there at that meeting, Carol Ann gave her life to Jesus as the gospel was explained. But it all happened because Tommy, a new follower of Jesus, did something even though he was scared. And God in his sovereignty and his providence worked it out. Some of you, if you're unemployed, guess what? You need to get a job. May not be a perfect job. I mean, if you're an adult, that is, and you're unemployed or not retired, and you've got to work. It may not be a perfect job, but you take what is there. Some of you, you, you want to get married. Guys, if you're sitting around and you're thinking, is she the one? Is she the one that God has for me? How do I know she's the, well, are you attracted to her? That's a good start. Would she make a good wife, a companion, a good mother? Find out. Ask her out. Get the pacifier out of your mouth and go ask her out, okay? And it may not work out, but you can be like Esther. If I perish, I perish. Just take a step, do something. Here's a story that came from an article in a paper. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think it'll make the point. Walter Houston, described by his family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got the confirmation, his wife Ruby said. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was all about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would just pull back, quote, because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way. Ruby says he was very sensitive to always remain in God's will. That was primary for him. Friends say they liked Walter, through, they liked Walter though he seemed to not capitalize on his talents. Walter had a number of skills he never got around to using, says his longtime friend Timothy Burns. He worked very well with his wood and had a storyteller side of him too. And I always told him, take a risk, try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. To his credit, they say Houston, who worked mostly as a handyman, was able to pay off the mortgage on the couple's modest home. We don't want our lives ended up like that, do we? So just do something. But do so with your eyes on the Lord. Number two, don't look to yourself. Don't look to yourself. In this scripture here, it says, this is so vital. It says, and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What does it mean? How do we lean on our own understanding? Can I tell you what I think is the biggest way that we lean on our own understanding? It's when we try to figure out God's will ahead of time. 
And we say, you know what? If God's going to work in my life, it's got to look like this. If God's going to do something in my life, it must look like this, and it can't look like this. And if it turns out this way, then it can't be the will of God. And we try to figure out ahead of time of how God is going to work and what God is going to do. And until we give that up, we cannot fully trust God if we are trying to pre-plan what he is going to do in our lives. And that's where we don't lean on our own understanding. And some of us are in this place where we've got, oh boy, it's got to be like this and my marriage has to look like this or my career's got to look like this or my ministry's got to look like this. And if it doesn't go just so or there's turbulence or there's problems or there's challenges, then we think that must not be the will of God. But the Bible tells us that we are to be content and holy in God. Not that the circumstances are going to go perfectly. In fact, sometimes when you obey God, you do what he wants, the circumstances will for a time become increasingly challenging. We stress over hearing the voice of God and getting just the right direction of God. But folks, trusting in God, as I said before, is not about my ability to hear from God. It is trusting in God's ability to make himself heard. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5 says that as a father disciplines his children, so the Lord God disciplines you. And if you're a loving parent and you disciplined your child because they were going the wrong way, you don't simply discipline them and give them no explanation of what's going on. You tell them, here is why you're being disciplined, and now here are the choices you need to make. And God is a good discipliner. And if we're in the wrong direction and he disciplines and corrects us, he will make his will clear and known, and he will put us on the path that we need to be on because he is a loving and good father. And so when the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, know that he is good and you can relax in that. 